0: Well, well, well. Fancy meeting you here. A new Zeitcast. Imagine that. Friends, it is awfully good to be with you. However you got here, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad I'm here. What a rich season of life. I'm not going to give this introduction every time, but right now I've got some sermons to share, so I'm sharing them. Preach from Little Methodist Church. I've been pastoring for a few months now. I don't want to make it sound idyllic, but good gracious, do I love these folks. It is a just a beautiful community and a real extension of, I don't know, all kinds of other things that are happening in my life right now. I was a little concerned initially because of all the other things I do. You know, how how can I take on one more thing? But I also feel like the pastoral thing is so deep in me. I feel like my life Makes more sense when I'm doing this, not less. So I'm hoping that something that you hear will help you make sense of your own life and your own journey. I believe that there is such a thing as rhythms of grace that give us a sense of order, but not control. Order and control are two very different things, aren't they? Um, how much we crave for rhythm. So much of what people, I think is categorized as something wrong with us or something broken or evil or wicked about us. I think there's just a craving for rhythm and without rhythm, we don't know who we are. We don't know how to be in the world, but there is an, there's a lighter, easier way of living the easy yoke that Jesus talks about. And without being too preachy about it, though, this is a sermon. I do think there really is an invitation to come into a whole different way of being, a whole different way of being human, of being in the world. And I don't know. I hope somehow maybe you along with me will feel something of that invitation as we move quickly from here into a series of sermons built around Lent. Also, such an invitation to a time of transformation. So thanks for being here, and I hope something in this speaks to your own soul. God, I just ask you now that your Holy Spirit would open up our eyes and ears. That in the words of David, we'd behold wondrous things from your law. That you would show us exactly what we need to see. That you would speak to us exactly what we need to hear. And let us have eyes to see and ears to hear as your church. In the name of Jesus. I want to go to our gospel text uh, that Doris read wonderfully for us a few moments ago. And just want to point out a couple things to you before we go any further. One, we see, um, we see the great grace at work here that God cares about mother-in-laws. So that's good to know, right? God cares about your mother-in-law. The grace for mother-in-laws. Anybody here have good mother-in-laws? We have a good mother-in-laws. That's, that's great. Praise the Lord for that. But I'm really struck this morning by a couple phrases. In verse 33, we read that the whole city was gathered around the door. In verse 34, we see that Jesus cured many That he cast out many demons. At the end of the text, we see that Jesus will go throughout Galilee proclaiming his message. But in the middle of all this, we have verse 35 in the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place. And there, he prayed. I'll read just a little bit further. And Simon, and his companions hunted for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. And that's when Jesus answers, let us go on to the neighboring towns that I may proclaim the message there also for that is what I came out to do. And from there, He goes throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. I am struck this morning by the fact that Jesus, from these earliest notes that we get of his ministry in Mark's gospel, that we already see a pattern that we'll see over and over again throughout the gospels, that Jesus does go around, uh, well, in the words of, I guess that's uh, John, he does go around doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. There are many people who are healed. There are many demons that are cast out. There are always people clamoring for his attention. And yet what we see consistently is that Jesus has this pattern of retreat and withdrawal. When the disciples get to Jesus, they say, everyone is looking for you. There are many times that people go looking for Jesus and they don't immediately find him. because Jesus. Has this practice. He gets up very early while it's still dark. I feel like I'm this is probably speaking the language of anybody in our community who's even adjacent to farming, because I know we got some folks here who get up while it's still dark. I am aspiring to get up closer to when it's still dark. I'm continuing to, to work on that because while I don't have the same rhythms of farming, I do need rhythms in my soul, and my spirit. And that's really what I want to talk about today is these rhythms of grace. One of the things I love most about Jesus, uh, in the words of, well, one of the earliest church fathers, he is very man and very God. And while he's very God, the fact that Jesus is a human, the fact that Jesus is a man, means that Jesus has human needs. Jesus even though he's Jesus, is not on full time. Jesus, while he's Jesus, every letter capitalized, that Jesus is not able to go nonstop throughout the towns, throughout Galilee, healing, delivering, doing all these things without taking a break. Jesus, even though he's Jesus, still needs space and time to be alone to be connected with his Father, to be connected to his own source of life. Jesus, even though he's that Jesus, still needs this kind of time. He needs this kind of space. I feel like I don't want to spoil anything about Lent, but we're getting awfully close to Lent, uh, February 14th this year. Which I kind of love, honestly. I, I'm, I'm probably have to say more about that. I love it lands on Valentine's Day because there's a whole there's a lot to be preached about love and death. I, I'll save that for now. But love and death. But I get weirdly excited about Lent. Some of y'all heard me say before as a person who didn't grow up with the whole church calendar. Really, that now it's like, oh, we get to do all these things, and I get weirdly excited about Lent, which is strange because I know Lent technically is this time of of consecration. And we, you know, that's what Ash Wednesday is about. We do remember that we are dust, that we're going back to dust. But it's interesting how much for me, I I find all that to be really liberating and uh, to get to admit that we are dust, to admit that we are human. Uh, To admit that we are human is to say, admit that we're, we're not superhuman. We cannot do everything, that we have human limits. Of course, so much of the narrative around Lent is built around Jesus going to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, that season, that in-between time. Uh, And that's come to mean something very different for me because probably one of the great shifts of my life, and I feel like I've ever gotten over this, is when I first saw kind of through the text that, um, that wilderness doesn't mean just one thing. As we get into Lent, we'll definitely be talking about wilderness more and going into wilderness more. But I always associated historically wilderness with punishment. And I get that still because, of course, famously, the Israelites, when they grumble in the wilderness and they disobey and all those things, we know that they spend a long time in the wilderness. But when I came to see that's actually just one note of the wilderness, uh, that's, just, that's just one example of wilderness connected to disobedience. In fact, I would say more often than not, Wilderness in scripture is not connected to disobedience. If you think about the prophets, the prophets sought wilderness on purpose. The prophets went out to the wilderness because they were looking for something. And in some cases, they were also, uh, I think in good and right ways, they were escaping something. Isn't it funny to think about cities 2,000 years ago, but before any of our technology and that you already had people who are kind of like, yeah, this the city business, this, uh, this urban life is getting out of control. I need to get back into the wilderness where I can. Uh, I-, I visited, I think about specifically like going to the, the place where the Essenes lived. We think that John the Baptist was probably part of a group like this one of these, uh, a, a set, a group of people who intentionally sought out wilderness, who intentionally would go into these spaces. The thing that actually really set my brain on fire was one day I was reading the book of Hosea and I I think about this so often now because Hosea if you read it like all the prophets it's a little it's a little weird it's certainly intense there's a lot of language of of judgment but uh, in Hosea 2 as God has been going through this long list of all the things that Israel's done wrong and all the ways that Israel has been unfaithful to him and that's played out through the drama of the prophet Hosea of course who's married to a woman that's That's not faithful to him. And after all, and it's all very fiery, um, but there's a fiery love that's there. And about midway through this long speech, after God has been just kind of feels like giving his people the kind of giving them the riot act here. There's a sudden turn where God says, I'm going to take you back out into the wilderness where I will allure you. One translation renders that I'll take you back in the wilderness where we had our first date. There's this idea of wilderness, not just as a place of exile, not just as a place of punishment, but wilderness is the place where God woos God's people, where God speaks intimately to us. I don't know what your experience has been for any of you who like to camp. But people go camping for a reason, and one of the reasons that we do that, and one of the reasons that we love to I mean, keep in mind, being from where I am in North Carolina, I used to go to the mountains a whole lot. And one of the things I love about going to the mountains is that you, you're able to turn off the noise. You don't, you don't go in the wilderness um, as, as some sort of punishment or like this terrible discipline. No, no, no. Oh, this is the place where you can see... This is the place that you can hear. I used to read about Jesus going to the wilderness, and oh, well, he fasted for 40 days, and it made him sound like Superman to me. But really, I think what we're actually seeing is for the Jesus who is very much God, but who's also human, this is the secret of his power. Jesus facing the devil in the wilderness um, is not, I'm going to fast for 40 days in this desolate, awful, dry place so that I'll be at my weakest, so this will show that I'm passing the ultimate test. No, it's much more like if you're going to face the devil, you need the wilderness. You need 40 days in the wilderness, because that's where you get where it gets still. That's where it gets quiet. We were just talking this morning about um, all of our, our over-reliance on um, phone navigation, I am learning my way around here. It's getting better. Y'all will be embarrassed at how much I have over relied on phone navigation in my year and a half or so here, but I'm getting there. And in general, I'm not, I'm really not that guy who likes to go around fussing about technology. It is what it is. There are, are, in ways, there are blessing and curse. It's not one or the other. It's both and, but stuff that we do know at this point is that we're rewiring our brains our brains don't know what to do with all this because what happens is that we have no rhythm, right? Um, Whenever I pick up that device and start checking, start scrolling, I get a dopamine hit. And ultimately what happens is all that blue light scrambles the signals in my brain to where I literally almost can't tell the difference, like biologically between light and darkness. Like we're not affected by the rhythms of nature anymore because of all the, the screen time. And I do think it's, for all the blessings, there are ways that it's making us kind of insane. Is that fair to say? I think it kind of kind of is insane. Um, I am far from pessimistic about the generation of students that I see I can't be cynical. I'm I'm going somewhere this and this is connected. I'm I'm deeply encouraged. So I'm not, I am never gonna be the person that young people do just blah, 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 blah. What I find actually consistent with the students I'm around is that. They're conscientious. They're smart. I get to be around amazing students. Certainly DePaul, but then y'all know I also do lots of random things and get roped into random things. Yesterday at uh, the Prindle Institute for Ethics that we have at DePaul, they were hosting the Indiana State High School Ethics Bowl. I was not familiar with an ethics bowl. I've never done that before. Basically, you just have high school students who come in and they debate ethical issues. And so I spent a day helping to judge that. I thought, oh, it was just so energizing. It made me so hopeful. I mean, just wonderful, wonderful students. And I see so much good in them. So I don't have terrible, you know, prognostications about students and young people, but here's what I do see. Here's what I do see. I see people who like, really like the rest of us at this point are just desperately craving rhythm. Like some kind some sort of order in the chaos. That's what I consistently see. Just uh, the longing for that, the need for that. I read a a study earlier this week that uh, actually hit me a little bit funny because everybody knows and hears all the time about the rates of depression and kind of the mental health um, kind of epidemic in that way for younger people. So there was this study they did trying to really get, uh, you know, a sense again in the last year of where students young people are in terms of mental health how they're doing and predictably as that's been skewing for years the numbers keep going up more and more people are depressed more and more people are dealing with anxiety but this is not funny but it hit me funny the kind of punchline the article was like yeah it's getting worse for students they are getting more depressed and more anxious but not more so than their parents at this point it's about the same um And we really do see this on all sides, don't we? That we just are becoming more and more anxious. We're more and more tethered to our devices. And in the midst of all that, doesn't it feel like just such a deep sigh of relief? This God calls us, not all the time, but into this rhythm where we're able to come apart from all that. This to get out of that noise. And when you're used to the noise, at first it feels like that's going to kill you. It's the same thing that people go through when they're actually trying to come off drugs. There's real like symptoms. And it's like, it's like I, can't, I can't not pick up that phone. But Goodness, the handful of times I feel like now where I'm able to actually get lost in a book and not pick up my phone, it's like, I feel like I, I'm, I'm breathing and we're able to sleep again. I just... I just can't get past the fact that even Jesus being Jesus for all the greatness that's in Jesus all the power that's in Jesus this is the son of god in flesh but he's not able to be on all the time he's not able to have no distinctions between work and play he's not able to just like oh it's he didn't at 4:30 in the morning he's not tweeting anybody back He's alone in the dark place, in the quiet. And if people are looking for him, I love this part, they can't find him. It's good sometimes to be a little bit off the grid. It's good sometimes to to have a little space and time that is just for you and God. And there's no other agenda. There's no other priorities. And how much I think we need to hear that not with condemnation. I, goodness, I've come so far from all that. From the time in my life where I thought, oh, I must, I, I would, I, I was very intentional about religious things in ways I don't even know if I could explain to you. I remember I was in seventh grade science class and we'd have a break in that class every day for some reason where it fell in the schedule. And I was bring I had this big book on wisdom by some charismatic preacher I'd heard on TV. And I remember my teacher asking me kind of confused, like, what what are you doing reading this book? This is what I would do. I, well, I've got a few minutes. So I could read the book. I was so intense that I was like, you know, I was trying to have like an hour long quiet time every day. And, and there were probably things about that that were good for me. But also at the time, it was driven by a lot of legalism and fear. And there really was a sense of like, oh, I, I have to go spend my hour with God. I didn't get in my quiet time. I, I am thankful to say it's taken a very long time. But at 45, I think I'm fully deprogrammed from all that where I really do get it. I don't get a lot of things, but this part I feel like I do get. There's not some kind of a mandate of God saying, if you don't come and do this, then you're naughty and you're bad. No, it's not. It's not a mandate. It's an invitation. This is an invitation. It's not because this is... These aren't practices that you have to do. These are things that you get to do. And once that fully shifts in your brain... I feel like that, that unlocks everything. Let me just share this with you, even though it's not, it wasn't the text. But this verse in Matthew for me just so gets at what our text in Mark reveals about the life of Jesus and the rhythm of Jesus. I love so much in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 through 30, where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Eugene Peterson renders this wonderfully in the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. How much do we need the invitation of a Jesus this morning who says, come with me and I'll show you how to rest. I will teach you rhythms of grace, rhythms of grace. Um, I'm basically done, so I'm not going to make this a whole rant here, but I will say like this much. One of my hot takes, I don't have a whole lot of hot takes anymore. But I have occasional ones that I don't know how everybody would feel about this. But I don't intend it to be all that controversial. And I think when you think about it, I, I don't think it's all that scandalous thing to say. So much of my life, I was so concerned about believing the right things and other people believing the right things. And specifically in terms of thinking right, thinking right. Have you prayed the prayer? Did you repeat the prayer after me? Have you said the right words? Have you said the magic words? Well, I don't know if you've delved into statistics in this way, but what we see over and over again for over years is that there is actually fairly little difference between people who have certain beliefs as in ideas and people who have other kinds of beliefs or ideas. In other words, people who say have like prayed some kind of a prayer at church sometime on a Sunday, that's awesome doesn't mean in any qualitative way that their lives look different than that of the people around them. Now I know we have all these wonderful verses about believing in Jesus, for those who believe in Jesus. But for one I think what's happening in Greek there, these belief in Greek is very different than what you think with your head. It's 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 wholehearted, it involves the whole self, placing trust in, placing confidence in. I think it's different than just thinking differently even when scripture talks about how we are called to believe in to to trust god in this way but the thing i keep saying is that the only thing that ever changes anybody's life ever really it's not so much you know changing your thoughts it's not whether or not you pray the magic words practices practices are what change us and if you really think about this practices what we actually do is who we really are is it not The things that we shape, the patterns, the the stuff that you do over and over again, showing up the same place at the same time, doing the same thing, that's the stuff that changes who we are. Ultimately, what we believe is not what we think, it's what we practice. Uh, James hits this pretty hard, of course. Uh, Oh, you say you have faith? Fantastic. What we do is who we are. And actually, once again, I don't think this is condemnation. I think this is very good news. Because I've tried to click my heels together, pray the magic prayer, think the right thoughts, and that's not taking me so far. Oh, but when I follow Jesus out into the wilderness, when I carve out this kind of space where I'm able to be connected to my source, when I'm able to be connected to that power, when it's quiet and still and I'm able to listen to that voice, that changes everything. Those practices change everything: solitude and prayer, um, reading scripture, meditating on scripture, um, just sitting in the presence of God. These are these practices change change everything. We'll be taking communion in a couple moments. Certainly, one of the practices that changes everything. But just before we do that, actually, this is just what I'm feeling this morning. Just before, uh, I'll pray for us one more time. Before we come to the table, but I want to just offer this invitation first, and we won't take long, but I would love it if we could have just a few moments to just sit in stillness and silence and just be in the presence of God together. You know, it's only in our most intimate relationships that you're able to be close to a person and not have to say a whole lot in order to to communicate. I love when, even in prayer, maybe especially in prayer, when I get past that early stage, it's important to do this. It's important to name all the things. We do want to bring our joys and concerns. But when I get all that out of my system and I start, stop sputtering quite so much and I just sit, the words of the psalmist, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Stop running on whatever you might hear the voice say in the quiet stop running from the presence of God stop running from yourself stop running from your past just 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 be just be still let's just take a let's just take a couple moments I'll do it with you I'll sit and let not do anything but be with Jesus for a moment. Well, Lord, this morning you know that we are, as a people, we are tired. Our minds are racing and anxious. We are increasingly unaccustomed with stillness and silence. We're unacquainted with quiet, minds are always spinning, and we are full of politics and opinions and images, noises. So we just thank you this morning that once again you call us to the quiet place where we can remember who we are, where we can remember who you say that we are, where we can reconnect to the source of our power, the source of our strength, the source of all life. Sustain us, help us. And specifically this week, I ask you, God, just by your spirit, would you draw us back into quiet places, wilderness spaces. Would you teach us these rhythms of grace? We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.